If you've been um, involved in any kind of a, a formal church environment at any time in your life, then you automatically have ideas about God, about spirituality, about church, about um, how this all works. And um, we all have questions about it too. Um, there isn't anybody in this room that has it figured out. And if you do have it figured out, then you're probably in the wrong church because... <laughs> You got other issues in your heart. It's called pride. But anyway, we're all trying to figure out this thing called following after God and following Jesus and the, and the relationship with Him and what that looks like. We've learned a lot of stuff about it. We've learned that um, one of the things that you can count on about God is that things are always moving and things are always in, in some sort of a shift all the time. Matter of fact, just about the time you think you've got a relationship with God figured out, then he, he moves things around a little bit in your life to cause you to, to kind of freak out and go, what's going on here and what's happening? And it's because God desires, whether you believe this or not, and whether you're convinced of this or not, I'm going to throw it out there to just plant this seed in your mind. God desires to know you and for you to know Him. He wants to have a relationship with you that's, that's healthy and that's functioning. You all have relationships in your life. Every single one of us have people in our life that we have a, re a relationship with. Some of those relationships are really dysfunctional. I mean, and I'm, I know that sounds harsh. I mean, you could be talking about your parents, your spouse, your children, whatever. But all of us understand what a dysfunctional relationship looks like. Communication doesn't work right. You never have a chance to tell your true feelings because you're always worried what the other person's going to think when they hear what you say. You're always playing all of these things out in your head, and, it, and it's, it's anything but easy. It's anything but open. It's anything but free. God doesn't want that. God doesn't want to have a relationship with us that's like that, that's dysfunctional, that's difficult. He wants it to be natural. He wants it to be free, and He wants it to be the kind of relationship where we can come to Him in every single situation and season of our life. That means even the times when we're not doing the right things. Even in the times when we're doubting Him, even in the times when we're scared, God wants us to come to Him in those moments. And that relationship begins to grow, and you begin to find out what He's really, he's really all about. The reason I tell you all this tonight is because suspicion, my suspicions are probably correct that there's at least one or two or more of you in this room right now who have heard people talk about having a relationship with God, but you haven't got it figured out. And you don't know how that applies to your life. And you've got a lot of preconceived ideas of what that looks like based upon the things that you've seen in your life and you've talked to people in your life. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to take those preconceived ideas that we all have, and I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. I'm going to ask you to actually set them aside for a little while. I'm not going to ask you to forget about them. I'm not going to ask you to ignore them. I'm just going to ask you to set them aside for a minute and see if God doesn't speak something to your heart in the next few minutes that changes the way maybe that you felt about Him and the way that you want to feel about Him in the future. So we're going to talk about God tonight. Um, this is just a really cool thing that I wanted any of you that are parents or any of you kids that are in here, junior high and adult, or junior high and high school boys this coming weekend, Friday and Saturday, we're having an incredible event over at Century Assembly 
All the churches and youth groups around town are participating in this. And if you've got a kid that you know needs to be at something like this, we got this on the back table, and you can talk to myself or to Nick or to Sean or somebody about the details of that, and we'll make sure that you guys have the info um, that you need. That was a little commercial. You guys catch that? I was kind of, I'm sitting here talking to you, and all of a sudden I looked down, and I went, oh, crap, I forgot to tell you about this. So I got to, you know. Anyway, last week we started talking about something that was kind of heavy for a lot of us. It was something that was kind of, um, well, it's kind of one of those topics that many times we don't talk about a lot because it freaks us out a little bit. We started talking about the fact that in the world that we live in, that there are, there are two very separate and very real kingdoms at work. We talked about the fact that in every single situation, in every single circumstance that you and I find ourselves in, that there are two perspectives that are watching that situation. There's a side of, of evil and darkness, and there's also a side of, of good and light where God, God is. And we talked about the fact that these two kingdoms that are watching us, really at the core of it, you and I are at the, their focus. You and I are the focus of their attention. In a weird sort of way, you and I are really the prize. You and I are really the ones that are really at stake in these situations in our life. We talked about a story in the Bible that went right to the beginning of the Bible, the story of Genesis, the, the story of Adam and Eve, the very first human beings that walked this earth. And we talked about how in the middle of this story, evil portrayed itself. Evil came to life and evil showed us who it was. And evil got in the middle of a relationship that man had with God and corrupted it. Now, if any of you in here understand computers, you understand that you can have a perfectly good computer, do perfectly horrible things if you get a corrupted file in it, right? You can get something in the middle, in the mix that can corrupt everything, and everything is not isolated. It all plays off of each other, and it begins to grow, and it begins to morph, and it begins to affect everything until if you use a PC, you get the blue screen of death. If you get a Mac, well, then you, you don't admit that you had a problem. You just go buy a new one and say it was time for an upgrade. But that's a whole other issue. If you uh, are, I, I, use a, I actually use both, so. But the, the point is, is that our world around us is corrupted. It's not pure anymore. It's not the way that God created it to be. It's not functioning the way that God, when he set it out to function, it's not working the way that he wanted it to work from the beginning. Matter of fact, it's a long ways off. It's a long ways from home. And he's in a place right now to where he looks at the situations that are going around and he wants more than anything to be able to be brought into the middle of our situation so that he can begin to redeem and begin to fix and to begin to correct. And so when we look at the words of Jesus in the Bible, it's really important that we understand the context of what he's trying to get us to understand. And do you realize that the words of Jesus in the Bible so many times start off with a very, very interesting phrase. He says these words. He says something to the effect of, the kingdom of heaven is like, dot, dot, dot. And then he tells a story. The kingdom of God can be an analogy to this, or can be a parable that tells this. The kingdom of God looks like this. Jesus, in everything that he did, was trying to get us to understand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom that wants to bring that that redemption and that correction to creation gone astray. 
And in the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, last week we were in the first book of the Bible, tonight we're going to read a, a short passage in the last book of the Bible. This is a, this is a, this is a letter or a, a vision that God gave to a man named John. And in this vision are some very vivid imagery and some very vivid things that have meanings to them. There's been a lot of people that have talked about the meanings to this letter, Revelation. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of different ideas about it. But there's some things that are really, really crystal clear for us to understand. And we're going to look at one of those crystal clear things to understand tonight. In verse number 7 of chapter, chapter 12, it says, Then there was war in the heaven. Michael and the angels under his command fought the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle and was forced out of heaven. This great dragon, also called the ancient serpent, the devil or Satan, he's the one deceiving the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. And the voice said, It has happened at last. The salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accused our brothers and sisters before our God day and night. I want to stop right there for a moment. This short little snippet of this vision or this dream tells us something very, very interesting that we have to understand if we're going to understand the world that we live in right now. He talks about the kingdom of darkness and he talks about this great dragon, also known as, as Satan or, or the accuser. And we, he talks about how this dragon is standing before God day and night making accusation against you and me. I want you to think about that for a second. Because at the center of the kingdom of darkness that we've talked about last week is one thing. Accusation. At the center of the kingdom of darkness is accusation. How does it make you feel to be accused of something? How does it make you feel when somebody points their finger at you and says something about you? It doesn't even have to be true. Just the very fact that somebody points their finger and accuses you of something puts you on the defense, doesn't it? Causes you to just kind of go, whoa, what? It doesn't matter if you're guilty or innocent. It doesn't matter if the accusation is correct. It doesn't matter if it's true. Just the, just the mere fact that you're being accused of something causes a response in us. Scripture says very clearly that Satan, his name literally means the accuser. That he stands before God and he talks about you and me. And he tries to stir up crap. He is like the king pot stirrer. Any of you guys have a pot stirrer in your life? Somebody who just likes to stir the pot. Somebody who just likes to, man, everything's going really good. Let's see if I can fix that. And they just want to, you know, stir things up. Accusation makes us insecure. Accusation makes us second guess ourselves. Accusation makes us feel unworthy. It makes us feel like something's wrong with us. It makes us feel like, well, what did I do? 
Because if I didn't do anything, then why would somebody be pointing their finger at me? And it's very important that you and I get our feet on firm ground tonight and understand the difference between these two kingdoms that we're talking about. Because the kingdom of God is all about strength, it's all about truth, it's all about bringing things to light. And the kingdom of darkness is all about hiding, it's all about lying, it's all about concealing, and it's all about accusing you and I of the things in our life. Now, having said all that, I want to share with you an interaction with Jesus and his disciples. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, I want to share with you a story that many of you have heard before, that I've talked about before, but we're going to talk about this story in a little different light tonight. Matthew, chapter 16, and verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven, and whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. And then he sternly warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he had to go to Jerusalem. That he told them what would happen to him there. That he would suffer. He would suffer at the hands of the leaders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Jesus told them he would be killed and that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. But Peter took Jesus aside and he corrected him and he said, Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're not seeing things, or you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, and you're not seeing them from God's point of view. And then Jesus said to the disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition. You must shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, then you're going to lose it. But if you give your life up for me, then you will find true life. And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? For I, the Son of Man, will come in the glory of my Father with His angels and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I assure you that some of you standing here will not die before you see me, the Son of Man coming in my kingdom. This is an incredible turn of events that happens between Jesus and his followers. The first thing that happens in this encounter is that Jesus basically makes a public declaration that he is the one that everybody's been waiting for, that he is the Messiah, that they have all been living their lives, hoping, wishing, praying for the day that he would come. And he said, I am he. I'm the one you've been waiting for. 
Put your ideas, put your preconceived ideas aside. Everything that you thought I was going to look like, everything you thought I was going to act like, put it all aside. I am the real deal. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I'm the one that is going to bring forth all of the prophecies. I'm going to fulfill it all. I am the one that is going to be who you've been waiting for. But then he, he completely, completely twists things up on them. He says something very powerful to them. He says, now that you know who I am, let me tell you what I've come to do. He says, I haven't come to sit on this big throne somewhere with a big iron scepter and just rule the earth and tell everybody what to do. He says, no, I've come to establish my church. And then he blows their minds and he says, and you're going to be my church. And then he says something crazy. He says, I have been given all authority and I'm going to give it to you. And he says this, he uses this analogy that I think is so awesome. He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You and I know what that means in our life. If somebody hands you the keys, they're handing you the authority, they're handing you permission, they're handing you the right, they're handing you basically everything that you need to be able to come and go and use whatever the key has been given to you to use. If it's a car, here's my keys. It's yours, take it. We understand what that is. And Jesus literally says, I am getting ready to establish something. I'm going to give you the keys to the way this whole thing is going to work. And he says, if you have any questions in your mind of how this is going to work, I'm telling you right now that there are kingdoms watching us right now. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of darkness. And I am giving you the keys so that whatever you lock right here in this earth, I'll make sure that it's locked in heaven. Whatever you open up here on this earth, I will make sure that it's opened in heaven. In other words, Jesus didn't just say something with words. This wasn't just some kind of an intellectual exercise. Jesus was literally saying, I am giving you everything that you need to be able to walk the talk and to be able to experience what I have for you to experience. Now having said all that, if we're honest, many of us don't have an idea what having the keys to the kingdom of heaven is really all about in our life. We don't have a clue. We don't know what that does for us. I'm sitting here talking about authority and talking about the right and talking about permission to come. And we're just like, I don't get it. What does that mean for me, Jason? What does that mean for me in my real life? What does that mean in, in, in where I live? See, look at this interaction with Jesus and his disciples. He tells them this truth about the kingdom of God and he says, I'm giving you the keys. And then the very next thing it says in scripture is that from then on, Jesus began to talk to them plainly about the plans of God. He began to tell them the rest of the story. He began to tell them of the story of him having to go and suffer as the Messiah and how he was going to die and how he was going to be brought back to life. Jesus began to explain to them the hidden things of God. He began to go deeper with them. Their relationship began to shift and Jesus began to go deep inside of their heart. Many of you in this room have experienced something with God. And you have experienced the shift in your relationship with God where God begins to make things known to you in your life that you had no idea 
before. God begins to like open your eyes to things and all of a sudden you're looking around in your situations and you're going, wow, I totally know why I have this bitterness in my heart that I've never been able to get rid of. Wow, I totally know why this switch happens and I just get angry so quickly and so bad. God begins to speak to you. He begins to go deeper in your relationship and you begin to feel this thing happen. My friends, when that revelation begins to come, when that understanding begins to come, you realize that God is handing you the keys to the kingdom in that moment. He is saying to you, I am giving you the understanding of what needs to be unlocked in your life. Here's the key. Do something. Do something. But what do we do sometimes when that happens? Many times we fail to act. Many times something more sinister happens. Many times what happened to Jesus is exactly what happens to us. See, this story of Jesus talking to his disciples and him pouring out this beautiful story of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and Jesus entrusting the responsibility to his disciples and to us and he's telling them this beautiful story and he's laying it all out there. What happens right in the middle of this story? The kingdom of darkness shows its ugly head. And how does it show its head? Through the most unlikely circumstance. Through Jesus' best friend, Peter. In the middle of this, of this story that Jesus is sharing, Peter says to him, with the best of intentions, Jesus, I love you too much to let you die. I love you too much to let this happen to you. And because of what Peter said to Jesus, Jesus shows you and me how to respond in our life. Jesus looks at his best friend in the eye, who he's been through hell and high water with, who he's, he's loved this guy, he's been through it. He looks him right in the eye and he says, Get away from me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. Do you guys realize that many times when Jesus and the Holy Spirit goes deeper in our hearts and in our lives and He begins to reveal things to us about us, the very next voice that we're going to hear is the voice of the enemy. And He will say things to you. If God is dealing with you, let's say that God is dealing with you guys on a lust issue in your heart and God is bringing this to to the surface and you're like, God, I see it for what it is and I need to repent of this sin and I need to let it go. Or we start dealing with our addiction and we start dealing with the vices in our life and we're like, you know, I've always, whenever I've gotten stressed, I've always had to go and get loaded. I've always got to smoke some weed to unwind or I've got to go and I've got to take a drink. I've got to do these things. And we begin to do these things and God starts to speak to our hearts and says, no, that's not for you. The very next voice that we will hear is the voice of the enemy saying, just look around. Everybody else does it. It's no big deal. The very next voice can be the voice of the person in your life that you love the most that says, don't be so hard on yourself. You've had a hard day. It's okay. Just don't get carried away. And the very thing that God is trying to deal with your heart about, the enemy is trying to come right behind 
and take that key right out of your hand and say, throw it away. Jesus says, here's the revelation. Here's the key. Unlock the door. Here's your freedom. And the enemy is like, give me, give me that key. You don't need it. Don't, don't. It's, it's not what you think it is. And our mind begins to fill with things that are contrary to what God is wanting to produce in our hearts. Jesus shows us how he handled it. Jesus begins the situation by revealing the truth. And then Satan comes right into the middle of it. And he uses his best friend to speak the, the words. And Jesus says, get away from me. And what he literally said to Peter, you're an accuser. He called him Satan. And the word Satan, the name Satan, literally means accuser. Think about that. Jesus was in the middle of this situation and Peter accuses him doing something that wasn't God's will. He says, I'm not going to let this happen, Jesus. Come on, let's just put this aside. Many times you and I think that accusation is, is really pointed and it's really out in front. And it's really, you did this and I saw you do it. And it's not. Many times accus accusation can be much more subtle. It can be much more under the radar. It can be much more under our thinking to where we just begin to feel the effects of it. And we begin to feel our life following after something. How many of you guys remember when you were kids? I don't even know if they still do this in kids in school anymore, but when I was a kid, we used to have this thing on the playground called a tetherball. You guys remember the tetherball? It's a pole, it's got a rope, and there's a ball on the end of it, and the object is for you to punch the ball so hard that the kid on the other side gets it right in the face when it comes around. Just, pow, just, right? That's the, that's the goal? No. Girls played a different form of tetherball, but that was the boys' version. But tetherball was this, this concept where you hit the ball and, and you spin this ball around and it's connected to the rope. And the more it goes around, the closer it gets to the pole until it gets all the way to the end and then you win. And the guy on the other side is blocking the ball trying to get the rope to go the other way. And there's this, there's this game that you're playing. You know... Our relationship with God can really be thought of a lot of times like that tetherball. We have to choose what we're going to be tethered to in this life. Because this world is going to spin you around. There's no question. This world is going to spin you around. And what you are tethered to is what you're going to become closest to as your world spins. Think about that. In this discourse, Jesus shows us through His interaction with Peter and through His interaction with everything else that we have to be tethered to God to be able to handle the situations that we're going to face every single day of our life. The problem is that many times we are tethered to other things. The problem is that we have connected ourselves to, to relationships or we've connected ourselves to addiction issues or we've connected ourselves even to great things like a career or to our family or to our hobby or whatever. We've connected ourselves to something else and really what you're tethered to is whatever you gravitate to when your world starts to spin. So think about that. When your world starts to shake and you feel out of control, what 
do you grab for? What do you reach for? What do you desire? What do you instinctively need to make your world feel a little bit more sane, a little bit more controlled, a little bit more put together? If we're honest, many of us, God is not the first thing that we reach for. When we're in a situation of panic, when we're in a situation of feeling out of control, when we're in a situation where we're feeling like the, everything in my life is spinning out of control, our instinct is to reach for something within our grasp, something within our control. It's why many of us use substances. It's why many of us go from relationship to relationship to relationship. Because we're always reaching for something. And in that moment, if it's a person, we reach for this person because this companionship, this, this romantic interaction is going to make my world feel like it's not spinning anymore for a moment. And so I grab it. And I connect myself to it. The only problem is that if God is not the center of our world, if God is not at the center of our life, then we're going to spin around something that is not going to satisfy. It's not going to give us what we need, and it's not going to give us what we truly desire. And many of us have been coming closer to God. I can see it. I can see your lives, and I can see the journey that you've been going on, and I can see that you are just taking steps towards God, and you're and you're just walking and you're just losing things that are bad and you're just saying, God, I just want more of you. My friends, there is a journey that we're all on and what we're tethered to is going to make all the difference in the world. I can name so many situations just in the last two weeks. I've got a really good friend of mine that came to me a couple weeks ago and he's just like despondent, depressed, aimless, this is a guy that two months ago was just so excited about his faith, so excited about what God was doing in his heart, so excited about the way that God was speaking to him, only to find himself in that lonely, depressed place where he has no direction. And he was coming to me saying, what do I do? And I said, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to go get drunk. That's honest. That's real. What are you going to do? I don't want to do that anymore because I've had that. And I want what God has for me now. And as we begin to pray and as he begin to push through it, a week goes by and all of a sudden God begins to pull back the dark clouds and he begins to shine on him. He begins to see things and he begins to see things in his heart that he's never seen before. And it's one of these Jesus-Peter interactions where Jesus begins to expose things to his heart and he gives my friend, the keys. And he says, here's what you're dealing with. See, in that moment of despair, my friend had two choices, right? He could have gone and used, or he could turn for help, and he could say, what do I do? And he turned for help, thank God. And in his way, you know what he did? He did what Jesus did. He looked at Satan and he said, get behind me, get away from me, Satan. And God showed my friend that he's tethered to him. And his life kept spinning. But a week later, he was so close to Jesus. And he says, God, I see things about myself I've never seen before. And guess what? He began to open up a part of his heart that's never been opened before. God wants to reveal his kingdom to you and me. 
plainly. He wants it to be understandable. He doesn't want it to be difficult. He doesn't want it to be gibberish. He doesn't want it to be hard. He wants it to be easy. In Revelation chapter 12, the the rest of that scripture that we were reading says something extremely profound that you and I have to hear. Talking about the dragon, it says, they, meaning you and I, have defeated this dragon because of the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus, and because of our testimony. And we're not afraid to die. We defeat the kingdom of darkness because of what Jesus did on the cross, because He bled for us and He shed His blood for us. But then it says that we defeat this kingdom of darkness through the words that we say, our testimony. Some of you here tonight think that you would never be able to lead a Bible study. You think that you would never be able to open up Scripture and be able to tell what it means to you. Some of you think that you would never be able to be used by God in any kind of a spiritual capacity. And yet, if I were to ask you, what has God done for you? You'd be able to tell me. In that interaction between you and me, of you telling me what God has done for you, Scripture says that that is your testimony. And that through it, you're defeating the kingdom of darkness. You are defeating the very voice in your life that wants to destroy, that wants to bring chaos, that wants to lie to you. It's time for us tonight to begin to understand the power that God has given to us. The keys of the kingdom of God have been given to us. The keys and the authority and the understanding of what that means. When He speaks to you and He brings revelation to you, He is unlocking doors in your heart. Tonight we're going to take communion together. This is a moment when God unlocks our hearts. This is a moment when God begins to reveal things to us. This is a moment when we begin to talk to God and God begins to talk to us. And so tonight, as we come to these tables, many of you know that this is a highlight of the week for us, that we come and we, we look forward to this moment that we get to spend with God. But tonight, God wants to break some of the lies that you've believed. Not lies from Him. Lies from the enemy. Tonight as you come, we're going to have the band come on up and we're going to sing a little bit more songs and we're going to worship God as we normally do. But there are things in your life that God has dealt with you about. There's things that He has spoken to your heart that as soon as He spoke them, the enemy came behind you and began to usurp it and begin to lie and begin to try to get you to take your eyes off of what God was dealing with you about and to put your eyes on something else. And so tonight is your chance to be able to get right with God in any area of your life that God is dealing with you on. We talk a lot about repentance here. 
We talk a lot about the fact that we are broken, that we're screwed up, that we have this insatiable propensity to want to do what is wrong. We talk a lot about the fact that if you put us in a room with bad things, we will instinctively go and find it. That's what we do. And because of that, we have to counteract that with repentance. We have to continually turn away from the things in our life that we so easily gravitate to, and we have to turn back towards God. We have to turn back towards the cross. We have to turn back towards Jesus. So when we take this bread that Scripture says is nothing more than just a symbolic thing that we use to remind us of Jesus' body, and we dip it in this juice, what we're saying to God is, God, I'm turning away from myself. I'm turning away from the things that I get caught in so easily, and I'm turning back to you, and I want to repent for the things that I want and the things that I feel that I need. And God, I want to realign myself with you. And I want to be after you. And God, I want you to be the only thing I want. And I want you to be the only thing that I need. And so God, I turn from myself and I turn towards you. This is a process, friends. I don't care if you've been to church for 20 years. This is a process that you will never stop doing as long as you walk this earth. There is no such thing as becoming an expert at turning from your sin and repenting. It is a new process of being broken every single time we do it. And turning back to God and saying, God, I am humbling myself and I am turning to you. So tonight we're going to sing. We're going to let God have us. And we're going to turn our hearts towards Him. We're going to sing of a song of Here I Am to Worship as we come to Him tonight. I pray that you will come with an understanding and with a heart that's wide open, ready to interact with God. Bye.